0: Amen. What's up, Epic Life? I'm back from the dead last week. Man, there's a couple bugs that are going around that are not the Epic Life. I'll tell you that much. So I've been doing an emphasis on what are the things that have helped shape my transformation. And what were the instruments, what were the pivotal moments where I was able to remove myself from the religious kind of rut that I found myself in? I was raised in a great Christian home, but I tell you what, that my faith didn't come very easily to me. It was a very challenging time to develop my own uh, faith, and so tonight I'm going to share one of those things, and the title of this message is Escape from Crisis Christianity. What do you do when the S hits the F? When the, the crud hits the fan, what do you do, what do you do when life totally goes sideways? What do you do when Christ comes and all of a sudden you're just, you're wrecked, you're just free-falling? If you're like most, those are the times when stuff really goes sideways, those are the times when you decide, I'm going to press into God. For me, those times, the times of crisis were the times that I grew the most, I drew closest to God, I advanced my faith more in those times than any other times. Anyway, it makes a lot of sense because when we're in crisis, when things go bad, our language that we use with God is very clear. Why? You know, right? Like, what's going on? God, change this. Jesus, remove this. Deliver peace. Smite them, God. Like, you know, we have clear language. When crisis comes, it's so easy for us to cry out in holy whining. God help Please Jesus. Our behaviors are also really clear. We go to church, we read a lot, we journal, we pray, we get other people to pray with us, Our church attendance just skyrockets to the roof. And we do that until the crisis passes, and we say, "Jesus, you were so good, I'm so close, I'll never remove myself from the spot again. I want to stay here. That was so good. I made it through Jesus. Thank you, and I want to stay close. You know what happens? You go back. You go right back into cruise control Christianity. I probably shouldn't have named the series of that. That actually was a lot more interesting. That just came to me. But what this does is it leads our faith into a crisis-based Christianity where our intimacy is dependent upon the urgency of our need. When you have a crisis-based Christianity... The intimacy you have with God is solely dependent upon the urgency of your need. My life, for the most part, always required a crisis for me to grow. My Bible was shocking, because I would, like, I'd only really read for me when, like, stuff was tough and bad, and so I'd go to the Psalms, like, God, why have you forsaken me? My enemies are all around me, you know, like, I'd highlight all the bummer things, right? And I was like, I'm the type of like, oh, I need a journal, and I never do, except when times are bad. It's my journals like this accumulation of like the worst stories ever, you know? And like I mark my Bible like this terrible thing, this day, and all the memorials I made for God in my Bible, in my journal, in my prayer life, all marked bummer times in my life. And the time I go back was the next crisis. I'd even write music. Music's a way I kind of relate to God. So I was like, "Dude, you write the bummer's music? That's depressing. You know, it's always like these minor keys, you know. But that's how I operated. That's how when I was really connected to God was in the moments of crisis. And when the urgency of crisis dissipated, my intimacy with God just vaporized. And it produced a result that my faith and my intimacy with God was only as close as my most recent crisis. I needed to break the link between deep intimacy and deep crisis. Now, how does this happen? How do we develop this? Could it be that we're so used to saying, God, help, God, deliver, God, free me, God, send comfort, God, give peace. We're so used to that language that we actually have no idea how to communicate with God when everything is fine? Maybe it's that we've never been taught. Like we've 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 always assumed that God is the person who responds to needs, and when there's not a need, I'll catch you later. At least for me, that was that God was a God of crisis. He was always in crisis mode. It was the God I was most familiar with when He was my rescuer. I was so familiar with God being on the other end of my nine-one-one hotline. And in crisis, we have those such clear words and clear behavior, but has anyone else had the problem that when things are really good or things are boring or uneventful, you don't even know what to say to God? I don't know, it's like, hey, things are okay. Um, Maybe you could slightly improve this. You know, like, I didn't know. I just had no idea. It reminds me, if you've ever been to, like, a restaurant, we like to people watch when we go out to eat, and, uh, like, you see a couple that's there, and they're like both not looking at each other. You know, they're like so bored, like looking around, not making any dialog like, those poor people. I see like old folks too that have been like married for like 40 years. you just still like, oh, that sucks. You know, they're just, they don't even want to talk to each other. And like you see, like, oh, yeah, yeah, this, this check, it's really, you know, white and it's got lots of numbers on it. Like they're looking for anything to talk about. There's no... Depth, there's no synergy in the relationship, but that was really how my life was for the majority of my faith. But here's the funny thing: is that I was really involved in church. I would go to church, I would read my Bible pretty often, I would pray occasionally, I would try my best not to I tried like the best to like be a good Christian, but it produced zero relationship with Jesus. It produced a lot of head knowledge. It produced a lot of like, oh, that's really interesting, but it didn't cultivate the deep intimacy that I have now. I wanted to change. So the begs the question of how do you escape the crisis Christianity mentality? More specifically, what kind of language behaviors, what kind of attitudes and positions do we have when things are either average, good, or normal, and to be able to cultivate our relationship with God when we don't need Him in 911 mode? So that's what I want to share tonight. The first thing I'm going to share tonight is a fascinating thing I found in the Scriptures. That there are some of the most intimate moments where Jesus does radical things. He has intimate encounters, crazy revelations, and I found eight instances of these. And they all had the same four-word preface. The same phrase preceded amazing encounters and moments with Jesus. In Matthew 9, Jesus is with tax collectors and sinners. In Matthew 26, he's in the home of a leper just before Mary Magdalene comes and brings the jar of alabaster. Mark 14, in Matthew 26, Jesus is revealing to the disciples that he's gonna be betrayed, the most crazy revelation. John 13, John the disciple who Jesus loved, his head is on Jesus' chest. Mark 16, Jesus privately is with the disciples after the resurrection telling them about the gospel. Luke 24, as Jesus just finished meal on Manasseh Road, and the other apostles had no idea Jesus was with them, and then he reveals himself and vanishes. All of these instances have the same four word preface to them. You know what it is? When Jesus reclined at the table. When Jesus reclined at the table, he shared that he's going to be betrayed. He shared the wisdom, the profound knowledge of the gospel. In all these times, there's this unique phrase, he reclined at the table. And the connotation of this is that, is that you are fully satisfied in the moment. It actually, in different translations, literally means to like sit down to steak, which is pretty awesome. It's this, the connotations, this enjoyment, this rest, this deep satisfaction. After you finish the meal, you're like, you know, take off the bell. You're like, oh, it was great. I reclined at the table. And in those moments, that was the preceding text to Jesus revealing crazy, amazing, intimate revelation truth. So if you want to cultivate your relationship with Jesus outside of Christ, the first thing you need to do is you need to take time to slow down and enjoy. You need to slow down and take time to enjoy. Jesus has some of the most intimate moments, not when he's rescuing and in crisis mode, but when he is in total and utter peace and satisfaction. It's in the moments where you and Jesus are basking in peace, and he says, come here, son, I want to tell you something. It's in those times where you are at rest, and he is satisfied, and you are satisfied, you can cultivate the most amazing things from his heart. Some of the most intimate revelations encountered Jesus always in these contexts and verses were preceded by moments of rest and peace. And for me, it's peace, not crisis, that should be the most greatest time of your growth. I don't wanna to have to require a crisis for my growth. And this day and age right now, the times of peace are the times I have the most tender and the most revelatory experiences with Jesus, not in the moments of crisis. But here's the difficult challenge. The difficult challenge for me is not to pray, it's not to journal. It's not to read. It's for me to slow down. It's the hardest thing. To be actually satisfied to say, Jesus, yes, I'm going to just wait. My, I have attention span the size of four seconds. I don't know what the size of four seconds is. But I'm like, I'm so ADD in a good way, like it's, I'm not trying to like speak things, like I love how my mind just like shifts in context, but when you're trying to like be satisfied and rest in Jesus, you're like a little BB in like a tin can, and for me, it's so hard, and I want to like, I just, I know when I stop, and I just be, we're, we're so busy doing things, we're human beings, not human doings, (laughs) doers, it's so important that we just be It's so vital that we actually take intentional time to recognize the sheer amazingness of life. Psalms 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see, experience and recognize that the Lord is good. The scriptures say to go experience it, go taste it, immerse yourself into the experience, into the moment, recline at the table of the goodness of life and of God. How many know that you can be in God's presence without actually being present? I can be with my kids, and I can, like, be on my phone. I'm present, but I'm not present. I've been thinking about, like, I need to, like, get a sticker that just says, put the phone down and play with your kids. It's one of the most, like, terrifying things to be like, I, I need to be present. I can so easily check out. But we have the same thing when it comes to a relationship with God that we have to take moments and just be able to receive and to be in his presence and not be somewhere else. Because you can easily miss the goodness, the amazingness of the moments with God. And so stopping and slowing down and taking it slow is so important that God actually made an entire day for you to do it. He made it a commandment. Don't kill, rest. (laughs) He's, He's dead serious about you stopping and slowing down. He made a commandment for it. Recognizing the Sabbath is so difficult for me to actually like turn off work, turn off the different things and actually be in his presence. But God knew that we would be so consumed with our busyness that he gave us an entire day to catch up. But I don't just want a day, I want a lifestyle. I want a moment by moment, basking in God, this is so good. God's original design for creation was, it was good. There's a lot of reasons to be bummed out in the state of the world. Someone came into my office today and talked about politics, ruined my day. But there is so much good to have. And when we think about creation, that God created to be good, he created for us to experience it and to see that it's good taste and experience that it is good. And what I have found for me in the past probably three years, I've made a habit of having these deep experiences where I sit back and take in is that I find God in ways I never knew before. And I try to, people say, like, oh, you're way too over positive and you're, you know, too euphoric and whatever. But that is actually a result of me, like, I don't want to miss the goodness and the amazingness of life. If you have a burrito with me, I'm like, this is the most amazing burrito ever. Like, I get excited about silly things. I get very excited about dirt biking. That's one of the things I'm really pumped on. I love, I love the setup, Uh uh-oh, Oh, man. I love the setup. I ride bigger dirt bikes than that. That's not a very glorifying picture. That's the worst one we have, or best one we have. I love the washing. I love the setup. I love the gear. I love taking the gear off. I love the Q-tips in the middle of the carburetor. I love the laundry afterwards. I love reliving the moments. I love the corners. I love everything. And it's those moments like I'm like, yes, Jesus, this is so great. I take the moments and I say, God, you are just amazing. I'm on the track, and I'm like, around the corner, like, yeah, Jesus, that was awesome. Under my helmet. Because I've learned that it's too easy to miss out on what's really, really good. And those moments where I get euphoric about what really is good, overwhelming thankfulness comes into my heart. And that's what we're missing. In the moments where we really connect with God, we should just be flooded with thankfulness and gratitude I'll look at my wife I'm like how did I get to marry you I'm just like I look at our kids I look at just I feel like the luckiest person in the world and so I'll just recount over and over again how amazing things are and it's become a habit and it's in those moments I just feel like God just says like I just feel his face like smiling The face of a smiling father is so transformational. I, I truly believe, at least for me, is that those times to be euphoric, to be filled with thankfulness, to be able to say this is a great and amazing, I believe God intervenes in those times because he made good things. It's okay to give ourselves permission. So the next time, so here's what you can do if you want to follow my lead on this, is add the words yes, Jesus, to your vocabulary. A good steak comes out. Yes, Jesus. (laughs) Amazing dirt bike session. Yes, Jesus. Amazing sunset. Yes, Jesus. Incredible hikes. Yes, Jesus. Great grade. Yes, Jesus. (laughs) You know, bad grade. Yes, Jesus. No, I don't know. (laughs) But I can take in and enjoy this because you've made it good. Recline at the table. Be satisfied. There's so many reasons that we can be dissatisfied, but it's important that we actually take time and be satisfied in the moments where things are good because you will have trouble. The Bible says, take heart. You will have trouble in this world. So we know those times. We pray they're far and few between, but in the times where the trouble's not there, we need to take advantage. Number two, continually draw God's attention to you. If you want to escape crisis Christianity, continually draw God's attention to you. Do you know what my daughter, she's three, her name's Scarlett, do you know what she desires more than anything else from me? It's my iPhone. No. (laughs) Though she does ask for my iPhone. The things that her actions, her behaviors, her longings show that she wants more than anything else is my attention. She's desperate. She clamors for attention. It's one of the greatest gifts of being a father is to have your child just clamor for your attention. And the other thing is, like, you're the funniest person they know, which is a great privilege. (laughs) It's amazing. But beyond that, she seeks the eyes and the heart and the attention of her daddy. She says two things all the time. If you were to come in and spy on our house or time with her, you'll hear her say two things over and over and over again. Watch this, daddy. And daddy, do you want to? Those are the two things. She's learning to do a little bike. <clears throat> Excuse me. i get choked up talking about my daughter. <clears throat> she's learning to ride a bike. And so we'll go down like the sidewalk and like you have like little dips in the, you know, driveway thing. And she'll like, you know, she's She's kind of, you know, walking. She's like, watch this, Daddy. And she, like, goes down and, like, oh. And then, watch this, Daddy. And, like, she'll say, watch this, Daddy, about 100 times in one city block. It's all, like, the other night, she turned. In her room, she's got, like, a big bed, and then she has a little toddler bed. She took all the cushions and the pillows from the big bed and put them on the small bed. And her favorite thing at night is, say, watch this, Daddy. And she makes a foam pit into her little toddler bed. Watch this, Daddy. Watch this, and, and it's all the time. The other thing is, Daddy, do you want it? Daddy, you want to play your princesses? Daddy, you want to play with Play-Doh? Daddy, you want to draw? Daddy, you want to run around the table? Daddy, you want to give me a passy? Daddy, you want to—you know—it's Daddy, do you want it all the time? Watch this, Daddy. Daddy, do you want it? She clamors for my attention. She wants my eyes. She even tells me to put down my phone, which is very convicting. <laughs> I am trying to do better than that. But she continually seeks my participation and my attention. Now, did you know that the scriptures tell us that the eyes of the Lord continually search the earth? So 2 Chronicles 16 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God is looking for people who seek and want his attention. Isn't that a crazy, crazy passage? God is actually wanting to hear who wants the eyes, the attention, the mind upon them. Do you know what Scarlett doesn't ask for? Her basic provisions. She doesn't ask for a house. Doesn't ask for clothes. Doesn't ask for water. Doesn't ask for the basic necessities every day that I work to provide her. She'll certainly ask for a quesadilla, a toy, or something like that, but she's completely removed from just the basic necessities to sustain her life, and all of her attention is upon me bestowing attention upon her. And here's what convicts me about that so much, is that sometimes I found myself getting so caught up in praying for the basics, I never prayed for what was valuable, which is the eyes, the heart, and attention of God on my life. Could it be that when we take our eyes off the meaningless things that we may ask for, that we really are able to set our hearts on what's valuable? For a huge part of my relationship with God, I wasted all my energy asking for things I was already going to get, and none of the time asking for things that produced intimacy. My prayers sounded like, like grocery list items, and it completely was absent from the things that cultivated God's attention. And if I wasn't praying for God to remove a crisis, I was praying for a thing, a person, maybe a girl at the time, who knows. I was completely, like, list-oriented, and I never in my youth ever thought, God, would you just give me your eyes, give me your mind, give me your attention. Watch this, Daddy. Daddy. It's so much more that we don't ask God, that we don't just pound him with, with requests and just bombard him with like lists. But we actually it's like, God, come in and just like hang out. Watch this. Isn't that so tender that my daughter, she just teaches me so much about theology I never would have thought. And so I've, I've adopted this. Watch this. I try to think about my day my morning. I try and think about these messages. I'm like, watch this. I want like the, our software coming. I want like, Daddy, watch this. And then the other part is like, Daddy, do you want to? It's hard language for us because we're so used to having this, you know, some of us, maybe a scary image of of God. And and God is God the Father, but he's not the Godfather. (laughs) (coughs) And some of you guys worship the Godfather, not God, the Father. And better than that is that he's Abba, which means Daddy. And so to be called Daddy is just this like, mind-blowing theology trip for me. That we need to break the association that talking to God is only for asking. And talking to God is actually about invitation. But we probably do it because we have no better idea what to say. But here's what I found is that once I ask for God's attention to be on me, I actually feel like I have it. It's the weirdest thing. I ask you to try it. And when God's attention's on you, when you have his ear, you know what the scriptures say in Isaiah one It says, come, let us reason together. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for you have the mind of Christ. You have no idea, the capacity that you have to co-dream and co-create with God. And it happens immediately after you say, daddy, watch this. Daddy, do you want to? In your prayers, maybe as you pray and dream, instead of saying, God, give me this dream, maybe you say, God, do you want to? How radical would that be for your prayer life? And to think and in including God, instead of him being able to hand you a receipt for what he did, is that he goes and co-creates with you. And so when God's attention is on you, there's dialogue, there's interaction. You can get wisdom, revelation, perspective. I'm trying to like, incorporate more of this into the granular levels. Like, Daddy, do you want to write a message on Christ's Christianity? It's like... I think he does. Sure, why not? Finally, number three: develop favorites with God. If you want to get out of the crisis Christianity mentality, that you only need God when things are bad, when only things are like when you really like, we need to get out of the association of only needing God when we need God, right? So in the times that you don't need Him, develop favorites. We think that God is only honored by boring and religious activities. But God is a creative God, so maybe you should get creative with your relationship with Him. You see that we, have, we welcome people to come and paint. We, we openly invite people to express God in creative ways. Who am I to say, that's not how you talk to God? Isn't that a terrible thing? God doesn't talk like that. Oh, really? You know? <laughs> we're so afraid of putting God in a place that he doesn't belong, that we just choose not to do anything. Here's the reality, is you can't put God anywhere he already isn't. And when you find a love for something, it's important that you recognize God just very might well be already in the love of that thing. Again, I've, I've made dirt biking somehow worship experiences for me. I don't know. I encourage you to do something similar. For me, sometimes it's a song. If you look at my iTunes playlist you'll see like songs that are played like five, six, seven times, 4,000 times. Like I'll have specific songs that I just burn to the ground on repeat. Why? It's because they become momentary favorites for me that I feel like I connect with God. Right now, it's the Hillsong Young and Free, "Living It Acoustic. It's, I've probably listened to it uh, 4,000 times, literally. Before that, it was like songs like Kim Walker, she'd have. And it just like, he, uh, Shoot, what is that song? How He Loves Us, that's the one. I think I listened to it for three years straight. I developed favorites in which this is the place when this happens, I feel really connected. Surfing for me is one of those things. I'd laminate scriptures on a surfboard. i go out in the middle of the set. I'm just like in silence, I'm like watching waves and like looking at scriptures, like worshipful. And then the set comes up, you're like, thank you, Jesus, paddling out for it. And then a big set comes and crashes on your head and you're like, Jesus, help me. I mean, it's a great experience. <laughs> But here's the thing is that when you bring God into the things that you love, the things that you love become worship expressions. When you bring God into the things that you love, the things that you love become manifestations and expressions to God. Whatever you love, the things that you you find that just light you up, that make you feel alive, Seek to infuse God into those things. Here's the craziest thing ever about being a dad. I was actually really terrified of having a little girl. Um, I still kind of am. Uh, She's way too cute for the legal limit. But here's the thing. There's something special about relationships where intimate relationships develop unique expressions and, and desires begin to get swapped. Here's what I mean. I, last week, was looking for, when does Disney on Ice come to Sacramento? Never in a million years, but I thought, that sounds fun. Shockingly, right now, in my life, her love for Frozen, Disney princesses, whatever, it's such the way that all of a sudden, my desires are to be in her desires. It's the craziest thing, like, she sees a little toy, like, my wife's like, you are such a sucker for her. I'm like, I know, like, her desires are somehow being infused in my desires. Could it be that God has the exact same relationship with you, that as you develop love and things, that his love is being infused with the things that you love? Because there are means for intersection. There are means for you to connect and grow. And so, yes, I cannot wait for Disney on Ice to come and hear all the screams. I'm sure it'll be the same thing when if she's new direction is still around then. If she's like into that kind of thing, like, I don't know. It doesn't matter because the heart of where her heart is going is where my heart is going, It's actually incomprehensible three years ago that I'd ever want to subject myself to such torture. (laughs) Here's the point. Give yourself permission to have a vibrant, living encounter and expression with God in everyday life. When you box God into a a one-day-a-week, you'll have a a one-day-a-week encounter but if you say, God, I love, I love startups. Man, do I love startups. I have a list of about 400 of them that I'm someday going to get to. And I, I, I think, Jesus, thank you for making my mind such the way that my participation in pursuing this, it's an intersection with you. When we think about that, there is no such thing as when God is here and God isn't there. So for me, it can be as silly as a song. It even can be like coffee at like early in the morning, like the good cup of coffee with the right amount of half and half. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you're here. Like, those are tender, tender moments. Other times, <clears throat> hanging out with like Aaron Wills, one of the coolest guys you can hang out with. <clears throat> I still remember, um, there's a couple of Armenian guys here too. Like, we would get together and like we would like cook meat and like talk life and theology. It was amazing. And it was just like we were just talking about life, and it's just like the presence of God was just so there, like encouraging us. Many times, it's just being still and quiet by myself early in the morning, and it practically changes every month. The important thing is to know that God is dynamic. He is, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's dynamic with you. And when we try to reduce God to a single digit, a single time of a single day. A single method. We exclude 99% of all the encounters that God wants to have with us. Here's the other thing it did for me, too, is that I wrestled with this sacred versus secular boundary. Like, ah, I get to put on my secular hat and go to the track, you know, or I get to put on my sacred hat and go to the church. And what it produces, is like, I start feeling guilty for the areas of my life that weren't like, all about Jesus and, like, you know, like, the the, the passage, pray continually, was, like, the worst Bible verse ever. It's like, I've already failed, you know, (laughs) like, how can you live up to that? And what it means is to be in a constant state of immersion with Jesus, that everything, like, he's here, he's there, this is amazing, this is awesome, thank you, Jesus. Watch, Daddy, come with me. Do you want to do this? We have a lifestyle that no matter what we do, we go to work, we go to school, we live our lives, we get married, all those things, it's about Jesus, you are here. Jesus, you are in everything and me being in your presence and in this moment and taking it is what sustains me. Here's the crazy thing. So the past 24 months have probably been the most crisis-filled times of my life. Our son was in the NICU for 10 months. My wife had a crazy... Um, high-risk pregnancy. My mom has just recently got um, diagnosed with breast cancer. Like, we've had crazy, crazy things. And you know what? I've encountered a lot of crises in the past 24 months. But you know what? Those moments, yes, I, I, God drew me closer, but it was like, it was a familiar friend. It wasn't like, let me get reacquainted. And when the times they came, it was like, the, the strongest thing, instead of me being in panic mode and, and asking God for answers, the feeling was like, we're going to get through this. The strongest emotion I had in those months because I was able to cultivate all the valleys with intimacy was that we're going to get through this, and I didn't freak out and stress out. I didn't need to go and completely react. I just was able to say, yes, Jesus, I'm here. And it's been so refreshing to see as the valleys and the mountains come to know that I'm building a base that is continually trying to be cultivated, and I don't have it all figured out. There's certainly things that are beyond this that apply. This is just for me. But here's what God said to me before tonight about this, is that when we only talk to God in times of crisis, that's the worst time you can have a conversation. It's like trying to catch up with somebody you haven't seen in 10 years in the middle of a rock concert. Because in those moments of crisis, you have... A million things run into your mind. You have a million voices. It's so hard to decipher what is God in this and I'm feeling. You're just so triggered on so many things. It's so much harder to hear God in the crisis than it is to hear Him in the stillness. And so if you remember anything at all tonight, I challenge you to cultivate the dialogue in the stillness because in the crisis, it's going to be a whole lot harder to hear who's talking. Let's pray. Jesus, we just ask that you would answer in our hearts. What would happen for us if we break the link between crisis and closeness to you? God, what would happen in our life if we were able to develop a deep, ongoing, moment by moment relationship with you, Jesus? How would we change? How would our life look? God, what would be the things that you would say? God, I'm just impressed that you have so many things that you want to say to so many people here that have just never been able to be still long enough to hear. God, would you grant us the ability to stop and slow down and to taste and see that you are good? God, would you also give every heart in here the awareness. Lord, that you are looking to bestow your attention, your eyes, and your participation on anybody who would seek it. So Lord, would you give us a hunger? Give us a desire and a craving for that. Lord, for every heart here, would you help them develop favorites with you? Every relationship has unique expressions and and unique things that make it truly its own. God, would you give people freedom in this place, however they want to experience you, that they would have no shame. There's no difference between sacred and secular. It's all sacred. We declare that in Jesus' name, that all things are sacred. You liberate us, Jesus. We don't want to be once a week Christians. We don't want to be crisis Christians. We want to be people who are just compelled moment by moment through our dynamic and vibrant relationship with you. Lord, for some of us, this is just a crazy concept that we got to get used to. Would you just break down our walls? We love you, Lord. We thank you that you're so good. You're such a good daddy, God. We love you. Amen.